chapter one. Would you turn there? And as you uh, turn there, I believe that uh, the uh, brother Umstead, the Umsteads, are going to be working with the young people today. So young people can head on over in the Word of God. All right. Go, go, go. All right. They are, too. They're having a great old time. Okay. Guess we have some deciding whether they are. All right. Everyone, now everyone where they're supposed to be, hopefully. And you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to uh, look at, starting in verse 5, uh, the rest of this first chapter. And the Bible says this, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, uh, open our hearts to the truth of your word. Thank you so much for a Bible. Thank you for the very words of God that we can uh, proclaim this morning and we can understand clearly. And I pray that uh, you would help us to understand what is being taught here. And may our lives be challenged by the wonderful gospel that has been preached and that, uh, and that ought change our lives. So I pray that you do a work for those who would know Christ as Savior, who aren't living right, that they might be stirred today. For those who don't know you, that today would be the day they understand the gospel. And I just ask that you'll do a work, you would do a work that I cannot do in hearts. Honor your word today. We're looking to you, and we need your power and your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Roy had lived a pretty bad life. It culminated, it came to a point where things were extremely bad when he entered into a store with gun in hand and proceeded to hold up a place of business. He got away, but he was later apprehended and, as is often the case, he was sent to prison. While incarcerated... A pastor came regularly to the prison he was in and shared the gospel with the inmates and preached and taught the word of God. At first, he attended meetings because it gave him a chance to get out of his cell and he didn't like being in a cell. And that was an opportunity to get out for a few minutes. So he would do it. And he would sit there and he would really not pay attention all that much, but it seemed like as this man preached, continually preached the message of the gospel, that, that um, he started to make sense. The message began to work in his heart, and over time, this thief, Roy, came face to face 
with the claims of the gospel and the gospel message, and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And God began to change his life. He was born again by the Spirit of God. Well, the decision he made was undoubtedly genuine. It wasn't one that he was just using as an excuse. His life really did begin to change. He went from troublemaker in prison to being a role model for the prisoners. He did his time, and the day of his release finally came. As he was leaving, this preacher, the one who had led him to Jesus Christ, the one who had been influential in his coming to Christ and growing in Christ as well, this man handed him a letter from another prisoner. And here's what it said. I came to this place despising both preachers and the Bible. Roy, when you told me you were saved, I said to myself, there's another one taking the gospel road just to get an early parole. But Roy, in observing you for a couple of years, and your testimony has rung true. I kept track of you when you were in the yard exercising, or working in the shop, or eating your meals. You never made a slip. Now I'm a Christian too, because I watched you. The Savior who saved you has saved me. Roy lived his faith, and it had impact upon the lives around him. Roy is not the only one who has done so. In the passage before us, the verses we have just read, we read about a church, a group of people, that the gospel had changed. Now the message isn't really truly about the people, although the people are wonderful testimony about the change in life. The message today, it's described, or the word that's gonna, uh, we're going to talk about is found in verse 5, right at the beginning, when he introduces a section. He says something about our, what? Gospel. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Paul, is, as he begins to talk to the church now, he's kind of given a greeting in the first four verses that we looked at last week. Now in verse 5, kind of gets into at least the beginning of his letter, and he talks about what led to these people and the change in their life. It's the gospel. The gospel changed them. And that's what he describes in verse 5. And then verse 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, he talks a little bit about the people and what the gospel had done. So today, I hope you'll be challenged about the gospel. But I hope you'll be challenged to be like Roy. No, no, not someone who ends up in prison for a crime, but someone who's changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the desire God has for all men. So let's look and see what God has to say about the gospel because the gospel is what did this miraculous change in the lives of the people at Thessalonica. Notice again these words, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. I want you to see, first of all, this morning, the preached gospel. The preached gospel. Notice what he said again in those first few words. For our gospel. Do you know that's a rather unique statement? It's a rather interesting statement. You don't see it a lot of times. Many times you see just the word gospel, but you don't see the word our gospel. Although, it is interesting, if you take time to study it out, you'll find 
that there were a number of times that the writers did in Scripture refer to the gospel as theirs. He said, for our gospel, ours or mine. Romans chapter 2 and verse 19, Paul uses that term. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2. I think it's actually called that gospel. Uh, the same one that's preached to all men. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. And uh, this idea of it being our gospel reveals a couple things. It's a very personal message. It's a very personal gospel. Uh, I want you to know something. The gospel is not something that men made up or dreamt up or thought about. It's not something that came up uh, when, when a bunch of disciples got together and said, let's come up with a plan we can teach people. No, the gospel is something that was in the mind of God before this world was ever made. The plan of the gospel was designed by God and the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before the world ever came into existence because God knew that men would sin. And God knew that men would need a Savior. And so God, in His, in His great wisdom and plan, already knew that that would take place. And so He designed that someday... He would send His only begotten Son into the world to die for the sins of the world. That there would be what we call the gospel message. The message that Jesus Christ came into this world. He was the Christ. That He lived a life without sin. And yet He was condemned to die on a cross. He died on that cross not because of sin He had committed, but He died on that cross because He was dying for the sins of the world. He took the place of all mankind when He died on the cross. He paid for the sin of the entire world when He died on that cross. And anyone who is willing to accept the gospel message can be saved. And as Paul started to talk to this church at Thessalonica, people had already received the message, said, look, our gospel came not unto you. He said, this is a message that is very personal to us. It's very precious to us. Because, because of what it means, because of what Jesus Christ did, because of what God planned. But it's precious to us for a number, number of reasons. Uh, he, when he says it's our gospel, three things come to mind. First, it's something they possessed. And not they were possessed, all right. But it's something they possessed. It was something that was theirs. You know one of the great blessings of being part of the family of God? Knowing that you're saved, knowing that you have received the gospel as this church and as Paul could say, and as so many others can have been able to say throughout history, is to be able to say, it's my gospel. It's my, it's my possession. I know I am saved. And do you know very people, few people know that? You know what's interesting? Very few people who go to church on a regular basis, which is about 97.3% of the people in this area, all, these, many of these people have no idea whether they're saved or not. But when Paul spoke of the gospel, as he did numerous times, we already mentioned a few of these places, he could say, this is our gospel. It's something I possess. It's something I know I have. I know I have believed. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And you know what? Paul had presented himself to the Savior. And he had received the gospel, and he knew it. He could say, it is my gospel. It's mine. Now, you know, we, we get on our kids when they, when they say, mine, right? Okay. But, you know, they're saying that that's my, well, isn't it interesting that if a kid's playing with, with one toy and another kid goes and picks up that toy, all of a sudden that toy is mine. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? Okay, you don't have to teach people about a sin nature. We have it. It's it's evident. It's evident in it's evident in the nursery. It's evident before before we get in the nursery. It's evident very early, isn't it? But the idea is, hey, that's mine, and kids will fight over some toy or something like that. That's mine. But the truth of the matter is, no, that's not a good thing. The truth is, I can say this morning, the gospel is mine. Because when I was seven years of age, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I was saved by the grace of God because he promised to do what he said in John 3.16 when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when I received Jesus Christ, when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave me eternal life. And I can say this morning, the gospel is mine. And Paul could say to the church at Thessalonica, to every believer, it's your gospel, it's my gospel, it's something we possess. It's a wonderful thing. And if you don't know that, listen, if you don't know that you're saved and you're part of the family of God, that is a privilege that you can know. And this passage bears that, that fact. It is our gospel. Is it yours? Has there been has been a, there been a time in your life where you realized you're a sinner? You can't get to heaven on your own. What you've done uh, has alienated you from God, but that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you've received the gift that He freely offers of eternal life by faith. If you haven't, then you can't say what Paul could say. You can't say what the church at Thessalonica can say, but they could. They could say, this is my gospel. Uh, by the way, it was very precious. It's our gospel. And the gospel should be precious to those who are part of the family of God. To be able to say, I'm saved and I know it, should help you to realize how precious this gospel is. You know, the, the thought that today... I know I'm going to heaven, that if Jesus Christ were to come today, I'd be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about. It's a wonderful comfort. It's a tremendous blessing. And it's all because of the gospel. It's not because of me. You say, well, you're a good person. You try to live a good life. Well, um, I do. And I hope people would say, I am. But the truth of the matter is, I don't have heaven because of what I've done. I don't have heaven because of how I lived. I don't have heaven because today I'm a preacher. And preachers go to heaven. You know, there are some preachers who won't go to heaven. Because they've never received the gospel. And when Paul introduces this verse and he uses that that statement for our gospel, it was it's an amazing thought. It was precious. It was something that he had, he knew, it was something he possessed. And it's a pointed gospel. It's our gospel. You say, well, well what do you mean by that? It, I mean, it's very specific. Do you know there are other gospels? Joseph Smith has a gospel. That's that's the leader of the Mormon faith. It's not it's not the gospel Paul was talking about. But Joseph Smith has a gospel. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a gospel, 
But it is not the gospel that's talked about in this passage when he said it's our gospel. Paul talked to the church at Galatia. And he said to the, to the believers at Galatia, you know, there are people who pervert the gospel. There are other gospels he shared in that passage. There are gospels all around. You talk to people that would say, they'll say something like this. Well, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven. And then you ask, well, why do you think you're going to heaven? And you'll hear a lot of gospels. I'm a good person. Go to church all the time. I'm moral. I've been baptized. I am part of such and such a church. That's an amazing thing. You know, why would that church or that thing necessarily save? And there's a lot of different gospels that are out there. When Paul was speaking to his church, he said, hey, this gospel is a specific gospel. It's the gospel that we have preached to you. It's the gospel that Jesus Christ shared with us, the gospel that God the Father and the Son designed before the world ever began. There's only one gospel. There aren't many gospels. And Paul could say it's our gospel. It's the one that we preach. And listen, the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And all those that will, all sinners that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved today. That is the gospel. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. There's nothing to add to it. There's not a list of 10 things that you have to do. There's not a list of three things you have to do. There's one thing. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the gospel. It is our gospel. That's what Paul could say. That's the gospel we preach here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. And it's not a church gospel. It's not our ideas. It's not our thoughts. It's God's message to the world. All men can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's our gospel, Paul could say. And it's the gospel we preach today. And it was proclaimed. Notice this. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Just a little sideline, but it's an important thing to mention, is that the gospel is no good unless people hear it. It's true. And do you know how, who God has given the job of sharing it? Pastors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pastors. Uh-huh. Evangelists. They have that job, too. Um, deacons. Absolutely. Positively. Deacons are supposed to share that message. Um, teachers. Teachers in Sunday school classes and teachers uh, of, and, and workers with, with children. Mm -hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Positively. Any teacher should, should share the gospel message. But, uh, but do you know who else is supposed to share the gospel message? Yeah. Anyone who's part of the family of God. Anyone who's been saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And, and we would be remiss if we didn't say this church at Thessalonica wouldn't exist if Paul wasn't willing to speak forth the truth of the gospel. And quite honestly, no one you know will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ unless they hear it. And there's a good chance there's some people you know that will never hear it unless you say it. The reason this church existed, the reason these people were saved, the reason why the gospel had impacted their lives is because someone took the time to proclaim the gospel truth. And so we have the preached gospel. But I want you to see how powerful the gospel is. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but it also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Now, a couple of things to be mentioned. It's rather interesting in verse 5 because that he could be talking about the messengers, those who preach the gospel, or he can be talking about the message. And quite honestly, we can we could probably argue both directions successfully. There are two good thoughts that we can glean from verse 5 about the power of the gospel. 
And the first would be this. Those who are messengers of the gospel, because that's what he is talking about. Our gospel came on unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. It's possible that Paul was talking about him and the men who were involved in helping pro proclaim the gospel to the people of Thessalonica when they got saved. And if that is true, then what he's saying is, as they did their ministry, they didn't do it in their own power. They didn't do it in their own ability. They didn't do it in their own strength. It wasn't their great eloquence which led these people to come to Christ. It wasn't their great illustrations. It wasn't their, their great presentation of the Roman's road that led these people to Jesus Christ. It was the power of God that was working in their heart and life. And let me tell you something. We just shared that people can't be saved unless you share the message. But it's not you and it's not your ability that leads people to Christ. It's God's Holy Spirit who takes his word that you share with people and drives home to those people the truth. This is real. And what was great about these messengers is that they had God's Holy Spirit empowering their life. If that is indeed the point he was making, and it seems like it's a valid way to uh, interpret and understand verse 5. They had the power of God's Holy Spirit working in their lives. When they spoke, they didn't just say, yeah, let me share something with you, a nice little message. No, they preached a powerful message. This is the truth. Christ died for your sins. And if you will repent of your sin, if you will understand that Christ died for your sin, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will save you. And he, they preached that message with power, the power that God gave them from on high through the Holy Spirit, the power that the Word of God as well has, because the Scripture is a powerful, powerful book. And the Scripture has the ability to convict the heart and life of people and the Spirit of God and, and the power of God in his Word were evident. And then notice this, in much assurance. So that when they spoke, they spoke confidently, saying this, it's our gospel. We know we're saved, and you can be saved too. We know we're on our way to heaven. We know we have a relationship with God. We know our sins have been forgiven. There are so many different wonderful things that happen to a believer that they have something to share with others. i got to tell you something. I was convicted this week as I was looking at verse 5 because... You know, sometimes I'm timid in sharing the gospel. You, you, you may find that hard to believe, but sometimes I'm kind of timid in sharing the gospel. Sometimes I sit back and I kind of present it as, a, as a something that, you know, well, you know, I'd like to be able to share the gospel with you. But the truth of the matter is these men had much assurance. They were confident men. They were empowered men. And they spoke fervently because they believed it. So much so they were willing to die for their faith. It's no wonder that these people came to accept the gospel because persecution came to the men who were preaching the gospel. So it's no wonder this assurance they had, this is right, we're willing to pay the price for it, had a great impact upon those people. So let me tell you something, Christian. If you're going to go with the gospel message and God's given you that job, don't be timid about it. Trust God's Holy Spirit and God's powerful word to work in hearts and convince people, but you've got to be convinced yourself. This is the only way, the only hope. This is the truth. It's the gospel. I'm going to share it. And I'm going to share it boldly so that people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. So verse 5 could be talking about these men. But let me tell you something else. This verse 5 could be talking about not just the messengers, but it can be talking about the message. The gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Do you know the word power there is dynamite? 
Now, that's why we could say it's, it might be pointing back to the, to the writers because God says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Very same word in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The Holy Spirit's power to empower someone who presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it, it could be just talking about the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God. It's God's dynamite. And the gospel has the ability to break through hard hearts of men and convince them this is truth. The Holy Spirit of God has the power to break hard hearts of men and convince them this is the gospel message that you need in order to be saved. The gospel is dynamite. The gospel is the, the power of God. It is the word of God that the Holy Spirit and the, the power of God takes home and drives home to say, you can be saved and know it. So that's what we find, the powerful gospel. But I want you to see it's a personalized gospel. Look in verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. A personalized gospel. Can I share two things? Verse 6 and 7 share, share two things quickly about this church and about these people. All right, first thing is they receive the message. The gospel takes nothing more than reception. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? I will tell you this morning, I know I'm saved, not because of how I've lived since I've trusted Christ. He's going to talk about how they lived and the change that God brought in their life. But they weren't saved because they changed. They were saved because they received the message. There's a point where they said, this is truth. I'm going to accept what God has said about myself. I'm a sinner for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. About the fact that I'm going to pay for my sin for eternity in hell, for the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. But I believe that God provided a way out. And the way was Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day. I am willing to receive that truth to myself and accept what God has said. That's what it says in verse 6 about these people. You received this. You heard it. You thought about it. And you came to the conclusion, they're right. This is true. And they got saved. Now, there's another way it's described. He doesn't say they necessarily did it, but he talks about other people who had done it. And it's found in verse 7, and it's the word believe. And again, there's nothing more to it. Receive, believe, we can use those interchangeably. That's fine because the scriptures do. But as many as received him, them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, John 1.12. Acts 16.31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. They didn't have to talk about receiving and believing. They didn't have to talk about repenting, receiving, believing. They didn't have to talk about 16 different things you have to do in order to be saved. They just said, Jesus died for your sins. And if you'll understand you're a sinner, you're headed to hell because of your sin. Christ died for your sin. And you will receive it or you'll believe it. You'll trust it. And God will save you. It's not working up some, some mystical type feeling. No, these people heard the message, they received what God has said, 
They believed what God had said. They believed the account of God, and they were saved. It was a personalized gospel. You know, the gospel doesn't do any good unless you receive it, unless you take it to yourself. I came across a story about a soap manufacturer and a pastor who were walking down a street in a large city. And as they were going down the street, the soap manufacturer, who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ, just made a comment to the preacher. He said, the gospel you preach hasn't done a lot of good, has it? Look around you. Observe. There's a lot of wickedness in the world. I mean, you can see it all around us as we're walking down the road here. There's a lot of wicked people around. Gospel really isn't doing all that much. Pastor didn't say anything. Uh, they continued to walk along, and they passed a little, a dirty little child making mud pies on the side of the road. And seizing the opportunity, the pastor said, I see that soap hasn't much, done much good in the world. There's so much dirt, so many dirty people around. The soap manufacturer replied, well, soap is only useful when it's applied. And the preacher said, exactly. And so it is with the gospel. The gospel is only effective when it's applied. Has there ever been a time where you receive Jesus Christ? Has there been a time where you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Then you can say, this is our gospel. And you can share the gospel with much assurance. Because that's how someone is saved. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what God has done. And our receiving to ourselves. Wonderful truth that the church at Thessalonica could, could share with others. Now, I want you to see the practice gospel. Because starting in verse 7 and on through the end of this chapter, God talks about what the gospel had done in their lives. Now, again, don't distort the message. Some people teach us today. In fact, just had a conversation with someone this past week. UPS guy brought a package to the church. Um and had an opportunity to give him a, a gospel track this week. I gave him the track, and I said, no, this track will share with you how you can know for sure you're headed to heaven. Real important thing. He said, you know, my daughter got back in church. She's trying to get me back in church. And so it was an opportunity to talk to him uh, uh, just a little bit, very briefly. Those guys don't have a lot of time. They don't take a lot of time when they drop off packages. But just to be able to say, you know, it, going to church is a good thing. He said, I used to. I used to be in, in it. But I've gotten away. Now, um, I don't know exactly where he is because he wouldn't get the opportunity. But I did have the opportunity to say this. It's not what you're doing that saves you. It's what Jesus Christ has done. And this, that track will share with you. And if you have questions, you can feel free to call me. The number's on the back of the track. Um, because salvation isn't what we do. But notice this, because this is what salvation should do. Salvation should, should and can change your life. The gospel has the power to do that. And that's what happened with these people. They received it, they believed. And God 
started to do a wonderful work. So much so that these people were examples of the gospel. They were examples of the gospel message. So I entitled it this point, The Practice Gospel, because these people were changed. We sing the gospel hymn, don't we? Since Jesus came into my heart. You know it, don't you? What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. All right, you know, we sing it. But isn't it a good question to ask? What change has God made in your heart since you've been saved? Now, that verse goes on. I have, um, uh, let's see, um, I have peace in my heart for which long I have sought. Since Jesus came into my heart. There's so many different things that God's spirit and God's uh, Holy Spirit dwelling within does for a believer and helps them change their life. But the gospel was designed for you to live it. It wasn't designed just to save you from hell, although it does that, doesn't it? It wasn't designed just to take care of your sins so that you could be right with God and have fellowship with God and be part of God's family. Look, the gospel was given, and the design of the gospel is to change your life. And notice how it did so. You were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So all throughout this area of Macedonia, the church at Thessalonica was heard about. Because these people not only believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they allowed God to change their lives. And what's interesting is that they began, notice if you would, uh, it says in verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. As Paul and as the people who preached the gospel lived the gospel themselves, their lives impacted the church at Thessalonica. So they looked at them and he says that you became followers of us. That word means mimic. You ever do that to frustrate your brother or sister when they were, you know, when you were younger? You start mimicking them, you know what I mean? You know, they, and then they say, stop it! And you go, stop it! And they'd say, they say, don't do that! And you say, don't do that! And, and they get mad, and they get madder, and they get madder. Oh, it's great, it's successful, you know it works. Okay, I just got myself in trouble, and I just made some parents happy with me, all right. But you mimic someone, and it meant you did exactly what they did, and that's what happened. These people, when they received Jesus Christ as Savior, said, you know, the gospel changed them. It should change me. And so they started to watch those who were living a godly life, and they started to mimic them. They did the same things. So, so can I say this? Um, the church at Thessalonica would have been out, and they would have been witnessing. Because if they mimicked Paul, that's what he did. When Paul went to the temple, when Paul went to different places... He was sharing the gospel. So when someone says, I, I think the sharing the gospel, that's for preachers, that's for evangelists. That's for, no, it's for you. Because you should be mimicking those who love God, and those who love God share the good news of the gospel. But it wasn't just that they shared the gospel. They took on the same attributes. They, they learned from them. They followed. They mimicked them. They did exactly as they saw. And they turned into fine Christians. By the way, this is really challenging to me because here's what Paul is basically saying. This is our gospel. We preached it to you. It became your gospel. And once it became your gospel, you started to follow us and you became, you became faithful Christians. If everyone in this church 
had the Christian life you have, would they be a godly Christian? Does anyone find that challenging? Because that's how it happened. The reason this church impacted other people was because they looked at Paul, they looked at those who led them to Jesus Christ, they learned from their example, they started doing it, and their lives impacted others. So a good question to ask yourself as a Christian is, if every Christian, if every Christian at Spring Meadow Baptist Church were just like you, would this church be a great thriving church for the glory of God or have been a weak church of nominal Christians. Does anyone find that? Or is it just me? Because as I thought about what happened and how these people impacted others, it only happened because they learned to mimic someone in the first place. And they chose the right people to mimic and as they followed these men and these others that had led them to Jesus Christ, they themselves became great Christians. They were a changed people. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and justly in this present world. That's what Titus chapter 2, verse 11 uh, and uh, 12 tell us. That God intends for the gospel to change a life. And that is what happened with these people. They learned to mimic these believers, and then they became examples to others so that others could follow their life and learn how to walk with God themselves. Um, may I be living in such a way that if someone follows me, they'll be following Jesus Christ. May I live in such a way that if someone follows me, that anyone who follows them will be following Jesus Christ. That is a challenge set before us in this passage. Uh, there are some people who receive Jesus Christ and continue living the same way they were before they were saved. But that was not the church at Thessalonica. And by the grace of God, I hope it won't be anyone in this room either. So that you want samples. To all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. You know, wouldn't it be great if, if an evangelist came to our church and then they went out in the community and they didn't even have to preach. The people were asking them how to be saved because they have seen the Christians at Spring Meadow Baptist Church and their real faith. And it had such an impact upon others that they wanted to have it too. That seems to be the picture. You folks are such a testimony of Jesus Christ and the change that God makes in life. We don't have to say anything. I don't know. Maybe people were coming up and saying, I got to have the same faith they have. I, I got to get me some of that. Man, do I want that for my life. Seriously, some Christians are so miserable that no one would ever want what they have. And that is tragic. Their light so, was so shining before men that men could see their works and were glorifying their Father, which is in heaven. 
and it so had 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 such influence upon the area around them uh, and other churches that uh, that these people didn't these people that they had mimicked didn't have to say anything. Powerful, isn't it? Um, came across a poem that I think says it well. Laid on thine altar, O my Lord divine, accept my gift this day for Jesus' sake. I have no jewels to adorn thy shrine, no world-famed sacrifice to make, and here I bring within my trembling hands this will of mine, a thing that seemeth small. Yet thou alone canst understand that when I yield thee this, I yield thee all. Lord God, here's my will. Take me, use me. Let my life so shine that people might desire the God I know. That was the church at Thessalonica. And the truth is, it should be Spring Meadow Baptist Church. And any other place where the gospel is preached. They were a changed people. They were a confident people. Notice the last verse. And to wait for, well, let's go in verse 9 again. They changed. And they themselves showing of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They became, by the way, that were his slave, bond slave of Jesus Christ. They became slaves of Jesus Christ. And their lives affected others. And then notice this in verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath of come, to come. They not only were changed people, but they were confident people in verse 10. We're waiting. We're just waiting. Anyway, when someone says, ah, you can't know you're headed to heaven. That's, that's baloney. You can. Well, that was a great word. But it is. Malarkey. Oh, that's a better one, isn't it? Anyone says, you can't know you're on your way to heaven is ridiculous. Because this entire church, the church of Thessalonica, they were waiting for the sun. He's coming. I'm going to be with him. I know I'm saved. So when someone gives you the idea, ha ha, yeah, come on. There's no way you can really be sure. They really have no idea what they're talking about. Which, by the way, tells me that Jehovah's Witnesses don't have the answer because they can't tell you you're sure you have eternal life. But God says you can know you have eternal life. This church is an example of that very fact. They were waiting for his son. We know Jesus is coming again. We've received him. We're part of his family. We're waiting. Just waiting. There's a day he's coming again. And I'll tell you something. When you're persecuted for your faith, as these people were, when you have to really put your life on the line for your faith in Jesus Christ, you would be waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ with anticipation. Looking forward to that day because I won't have to keep going through this anymore. These people knew it. They were confident people. I'm just waiting for the day when Jesus comes again. Hey, have you been living like that? We talk about it. John, John wrote it this way. Even so, come Lord Jesus. He came to the end of the book of Revelation. And he was, so, he was so enthralled. He was so touched by the God that he served, the salvation that he had, and the powerful message about the end times as the book of Revelation deals. He said, even so, come Lord Jesus. That would be the one, most wonderful thing. Living with the reality that Jesus may come today. And that's what was going on with these believers because they knew they were saved. They knew they were headed to heaven. And they knew that when he came, they'd be with him 
even so come. And they were waiting for his son. So they were confident people, we find. They were changed people, they were confident people, and they were comforted people. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. This is an interesting way it's, it's, it was stated. There is wrath to come. Now, it could be referring to the end times, because there is a wrath to come. And believers will be delivered from that. But that really isn't the point of this verse, and that wasn't really the focus. The wrath to come is the wrath that comes on all those who are sinners. There is a great white throne judgment the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 21. And the Bible says, Whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a wrath to come. And everyone who dies without Jesus Christ, all sinners who have not been saved and are not part of the family of God, will be sentenced by God himself on that day and sent to the lake of fire for all eternity. as payment for their sin. The Bible says we should flee from the wrath to come. It's a reality. But these people were confident that they are part of the family of God. And the, the wrath, by the way, the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 36 that the wrath of God is already on a sinner who is not saved. Right now, this very moment, if you have not been saved, you're not part of the family of God. The wrath of God is upon you. And it is just a matter of your last breath taking you to an eternal hell actually to hell, which will then someday when you stand before the right throne, you'll be put in the lake of fire for all eternity. God's wrath rests upon all men that have not been saved. But when someone trusts Christ, the wrath of God is removed. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It's been removed. I know I'm saved. I don't have to worry about the wrath to come. And uh, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me because if Jesus comes again, I will be taken to him to, to be with him. And these people were comforted in knowing this. I don't have to worry about wrath if Jesus comes and when he comes, because I'm looking for that day, I'll be taken to be with him. What a wonderful truth. Are you a confident? Are you a changed? Are you a comforted believer? Because of the truths that the church of Thessalonica knew and the truths that you have applied to your own mind and your heart and your life. There's a lot of challenges in this passage, all regarding the gospel. A challenge if you're here and you've never been saved to receive the gospel. It's not becoming part of a church. It's not being baptized. It's not doing works. It's receiving the gift of eternal life that God the Father offers as, as a gift. It's receiving it. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, you have a message to share. You have a message to live. So may you share the message. May you live the message so that people will want what you have. And may you live in such a way that if people follow your life, they would be a godly Christian too. May you live with the comfort and the encouragement of this promise. He's coming again. And I'm going to be with him someday. Don't have to worry about wrath to come. A lot to think about today and a lot to be changed by. I hope you will. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There are so many different 